Hi, well, welcome back for lesson number four in this series called Current Culture. Uh, this week, we're going to be talking about God's plan for the earth. God's plan for the earth. I want you to think about your fear level when it comes to climate change and global warming. Uh, think about it from a scale from 1 to 10, 1 being not, not so much, 10 being extremely afraid. What is your current fear level? There's a lot of people today who are very afraid of what's happening to the earth and our climate and some of the changes that are occurring. And hopefully we can look at this and, and this lesson will provide some clarity to you on the issue. Uh, maybe show us what we should be doing and some actions that we should be taking in regards to this issue. But we're going to look at God's plan for the earth. Have you seen a uh, environmental ad lately, you know, due to climate change, global warming, the effects on our, uh, on the earth? Uh, they're all over the place and, and they're trying to get their message across. But what I see a lot of times is they're, they're blaming humanity. They're blaming people as the sole uh, reason for why our earth is the way it is. And I just, I think that's incorrect. And they, they think it's, it's up to man to fix the problem that they've created. But in these attempts to fix uh, what's happening to the earth, God is not in the picture at all, right? They, they, they leave God out of it. I mean, that's nothing new, um, but that's something we see along with these environmentalists too. God is not in the picture. And what we want to do is we want to take a look at what the Bible, what the scriptures have to say about this issue of the earth. This lesson is going to help us to understand the environment from God's perspective. And it's going to keep us focused on him as we make decisions in life. Because remember, we want to have a biblical worldview or a biblical perspective on these hot topics that we're going through. So let's go ahead and begin by addressing the global warming issue. And here are the concerns with global warming. Conversations about global warming and climate change are here to stay. Almost every day, there's a new research study or a threat to the environment that is being reported. Concerns are expressed that global temperatures will continue to rise, storms will become more and more severe, polar ice caps will melt, and coastal cities will be flooded. The current majority scientific viewpoint is that man's activities have increased the atmospheric concentration of carbon dioxide, which in turn has amplified the greenhouse effect and increased the average temperature. This increase in temperature is believed to have driven other adverse effects. Yet there is considerable debate in the scientific and general communities about this simple explanation and the appropriateness of expending a significant portion of our gross national product to reverse global warming. Many Christians are reluctant to accept the pronouncements of the scientific and technological community on global warming because they distrust findings and advice in other areas, such as the age of the earth, or evolution, or abortion. Yet there is sympathy for the calls to protect the planet from pollution and excess of industrialization. Scripture clearly calls for the Christian to be a good steward. Does this mandate apply to the environment? 
and how should a Christian respond to these thorny issues? So let's go over some of the facts now with the global warming issue. A relatively small amount of global warming has occurred for the past 150 years or so since the Little Ice Age ended. This warming is probably not caused by any increased concentration of carbon dioxide from industrial sources. There have been times when the average global temperature has decreased while the measured carbon dioxide concentration increased, such as the periods from 1940 to 1970. And some evidence seems to show that global warming may actually increase the concentration of carbon dioxide, not the reverse. Global warming could be caused by solar activity that reduces the average global cloud cover and allows more sunlight to reach the surface of the Earth. This latter theory disagrees with former Vice President Al Gore's model of solar warming. He says solar warming is due to increased carbon dioxide. He has called for a dramatic change in man's energy production and use. Numerous climate experts have found his arguments flawed. And even if increased carbon dioxide causes warming, man could do little to change that trend. Environmental groups in the United States have succeeded in forcing the Environmental Protection Agency to define carbon dioxide as a pollutant and to look for ways to reduce its concentration in the atmosphere. Carbon dioxide, however, is vital to plant growth and is often increased up to three times the normal amount in greenhouses to speed up plant growth and reduce water usage. Some environmentalists claim that the current concentration of atmospheric carbon dioxide is reaching record highs. Those claims are exaggerated. Climatologists are aware that the record of Earth history shows periods when the concentration was up to 20 times greater than it is now. Unfortunately, some environmental groups have developed a political agenda that uses the current climate concerns for their own purposes, even to the degree of manipulating the data and advocating extreme measures. Christians should study this current controversy and consider both scientific and biblical input when formulating a response. As Christians, we need to engage current cultural issues, particularly if they have ethical or theological overtones. It's important that we arrive at a well-reasoned position. So I gave you some background to the global warming issue. We talked about some of the concerns and some of the facts along with it. And we could have definitely gone into more detail and dug deeper into it, but that's all the time we're going to have during this lesson. And it's, it's time now to look at Scripture and see what does the Bible say about this. I mean, the Bible is where we learn about God and we learn about his creation. And it's, it's all we need to know in order to understand him and his creation. So as we look through some of these passages, uh, we should get a good understanding and some clarity on how we should view this issue and how we should be good stewards and, and what our actions should be uh, towards protecting and taking care of the earth. The first point we're gonna look at is God is creator. God is creator. So at the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1-1, we learn that God created everything. He created everything. It was created by him, everything that we know. This all didn't just happen by chance. It didn't evolve to what we have now. There was a God who created everything. 
Sometimes when people don't believe in God, uh, they're, they're trying to find purpose in their life. So they try to fill that void, and here is one area where that happens. The people uh, want to care about the environment. They want to protect the earth. They want to keep it in pristine condition to find some purpose in their life. And so they go after that. They pursue that as their life's goal or objective. But what happens if somebody is just so obsessed with protecting the earth or, or keeping it clean and pristine? Well, they're missing the point. They're not worshiping God. They're not doing it for God. They're doing it for themselves. Their focus is wrong. Uh, park rangers have said before that if they wanted to preserve uh, the state parks and, and keep it as clean and, and um, unaffected as possible, they would keep people out. They would, they would close it off to the public and to people. That's the best way to keep it um, the way it was created to be. Because oftentimes, we're the ones that are ruining it. But here's the thing. If we can understand um, that God is the creator, it's going to give us a totally different mindset um, and a way of understanding as we look at the earth and our role in it. Secondly, we see that God is owner. God is the owner. So in this world, including all of humanity, everything belongs to God. He is the landlord. We are just the tenants. Look at Psalm 24, verse 1. It says this, The earth is the Lord's, and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. What does this mean? It means that he is ruling, God is ruling, and we are to obey and follow his commands. This is the rebellion that we see happening today. People do not want to be responsible to God. They don't want to have to be accountable to him. Uh, they want to do their own things, and they want to do it their own ways. This is like the motivation that society has for getting rid of the Ten Commandments. They don't want to be morally responsible. They want to uh, be gods themselves. They want to do things their own ways. If we remember, this is what initially happened with Satan when he was in heaven. He wanted to do things his way. He wanted to be equal with God. This is what happened with Adam and Eve and their sin in the garden. It is so important. It's critical for us to understand and recognize that God owns everything and we are, obey, we are to obey him, his rule, and his commands. God is not only creator and owner, but he is also delegator. He's also a delegator. Well, here's a question for you. What is the difference between taking responsibility for something and being given responsibility for something? Well, a person who takes responsibility, he doesn't have to answer to anyone. But a person who is given responsibility has to answer to the one who is giving the responsibility. Let's look at Genesis 1, verse 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So did man take responsibility for the earth, or was he given responsibility for the earth? We were given responsibility. God has delegated to us uh, to 
have dominion over the earth, to, to take care of the animals and the plants. We're not just another animal. We're, we're unique. We're created in the image of God. We have a mind, a will, emotions. We're able to communicate with God. We're able to make decisions. And God has called us to assist him in taking care of the earth. Uh, we are to rule over it. Uh, we can use it for food, whether it be plants or animals. So we are assisting God. But we have to understand that it's been delegated to us. God is still the creator. He's still the owner. So it's, it's not solely up to us. We are just managing it for him. He is still the owner and he is still in control of what is going to happen to the earth. The last point we're going to look at is God is sustainer. Colossians 1, 16 through 17 says this, For in him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So the role that Christ has to play in regards to the earth, we find here that he is the sustainer of all things. He is the sustainer of earth and the universe. All things are held together by him. So for someone to, to, to claim that uh, humanity, people, need to sustain and, and take control of the earth and protect it is just pompous, okay? You're, you're placing yourself in the place of God. He's the one that sustains the earth. Yes, we are to be responsible uh, in, in what we do and in the ways that we take care of the earth. We are to assist God, but ultimately, He is the sustainer. It's His creation, and it's all in His hands. Why is the world anxious to take the role of sustainer of the earth? Right? Why are people so anxious to be the sustainer of the earth? Well, I think because if there is no sustainer besides man, then there could be no creator to whom they are responsible for. Environmentalism is a way to excuse God, to get rid of God. They want to say that we are it. We are the only hope for the earth. It's up to us to save the world. But we understand that that's just not true. But with all this being said, again, God wants us to be wise with how we're living on this earth. Uh, we shouldn't be abusing the resources that we find here. We should be taking care of our earth. Even though the earth isn't our final home, it's our home right now. So God wants us to live wisely as we're here, as, we're, um, as we've been delegated um, the, the authority and the responsibility to take care of the earth. We need to do it wisely and with the most care that we can. So having established that God created the earth and the universe and everything in it, and he sustains it, we should know what has happened to the earth since he has created it. Obviously, it is not perfect. Something has happened to cause environmental problems. I'm going to mention the two major factors. The first one is the fall. Now, at the end of the six days of creation, God had said that all of creation was very good. His evaluation included the condition of the Earth's atmosphere. He made the atmosphere livable. 
not one which had to evolve over millions of years as oxygen was produced from simple plant forms. God prepared the atmosphere from the very beginning to support life, to provide oxygen for animals, to provide carbon dioxide for plants. He supplied fresh water to the surface of the earth. He maintained a comfortable temperature and protected life on earth from cosmic radiation from space. He created systems for the earth to cleanse itself and to be stable and beautiful. God's earth was indeed perfect. But not long after creation, Adam and Eve sinned by eating the fruit God had told them not to eat. Sin and death entered the world along with a curse on creation. We read in Romans 8:21 and 22 that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. So Paul is telling us here that the effects of the curse is still affecting the earth or creation. And the, and the earth and creation uh, is groaning as if in labor pains. There's still the effects of the curse on us today. And it's going to be that way until Christ comes back and sets up his kingdom. Eventually the creation and the earth will change, but we're going to talk about that later in the lesson. The second incident we need to look at is the flood. So over 1,500 years after the creation, the Earth's atmosphere and oceans were severely disrupted by a catastrophic global flood brought by God on egregiously sinful man. This cataclysm destroyed everything on the entire surface of the Earth and formed the geologic strata we observe today. It's commonly taught in our public schools and universities that these layers of strata containing fossils are evidence for millions of years of evolution. The Bible teaches, however, that a world-destroying flood came relatively quickly and lasted over a period of about a year. The floodwaters killed all air-breathing life on land. Only the people and animals that were in the ark were spared. Our climate was also severely disrupted during the flood. That disruption lasted for several hundred years but eventually returned to a new equilibrium. It's highly likely that a warm ocean caused by release of large quantity of heat from the geological process of the flood caused a gigantic El Nino event resulting in the ice age after the flood. The conventional climate community misunderstands Earth history at this point. It continually expresses concern that our climate could return to another ice age or initiate a runaway greenhouse effect at any time. Most conventional geologists and climatologists believe that the Earth has experienced multiple ice ages over millions of years caused by minor fluctuations in the Earth-Sun orbit. Consequently, they believe a minor change in global heating introduced by even small amounts of gases and particulates in the atmosphere could cause the Earth to reach a tipping point and lead to a runaway greenhouse or enter into another ice age. From a biblical perspective, since the Ice Age was likely a consequence of the catastrophic process of the Genesis Flood, then Earth's climate system should not be expected to be sensitive to minor influences. The climate appears to be a highly stable system and exhibits oscillations about an equilibrium level rather than being susceptible to sudden transitions to new states. So the introduction of minor changes in gases or particulates in the atmosphere should not cause major changes but rather minor departures from an equilibrium state. So for example, 
the apparent trend of increasing temperature from about 1970 has been reversed and has been at a standstill or in a decline since about 2000. So we just looked at uh, what has happened to the world since it was created in that perfect state. We had the fall where sin entered the world and a curse upon it. We saw that there was a worldwide flood that God caused to enter the world and therefore affected uh, the climate for a time. And so those were a couple things that have affected the earth since its creation. But let's go ahead and look to in the future now. What does God say in regards to the future of our planet and of creation? Environmentalism is built on an uncertainty about the Earth's future. There is a fear that the habits of this current generation are going to ruin the environment for future generations. But the Bible assures us that humanity will never completely destroy the Earth. We know this because Christ sustains the Earth and because He has big plans for the Earth. The result of the fall and the flood are not permanent. Let's take a look at a chart of the history of the earth. Here you can see pretty much what we've covered so far. You can see that originally creation, the earth was made perfect in Genesis 1.1. Um, then there was the fall and the, the earth was cursed in Genesis chapter 3. And then there was a worldwide flood in Genesis chapter 7 where the earth was damaged. First, let's talk about coming cataclysms. The next event on God's calendar is the return of Christ for his believers. He will resurrect believers from this age and will rapture living believers to return with him to heaven. While believers are in heaven receiving their rewards, Christ will judge the unbelievers who are left on the earth. This judgment is called the tribulation. Some of the judgments during the seven-year tribulation will involve cataclysmic disturbances in creation. Let's take a look at Revelation chapter 8, verses 7 through 13. And the first sounded, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and they were thrown to the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. And the second angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of waters. And the name of the star is called Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died from the waters, because they were made bitter. And the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars were struck, so that a third of them would be darkened, and the day would not shine for a third of it, and the night in the same way. Then I looked, and I heard an eagle flying in mid-heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth, because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. So listen to these terrible judgments. Hail and fire mixed with blood. A third of the earth, trees, and water are going to be burned up. A third of our daylight moonlight and the stars are going to be gone. The water is going to be made bitter. This is going to be a terrible time for the earth. We might not be able to understand how drastic this is going to affect the earth, but we know and we can understand from God's word that it's far worse than anything that's happening to the earth right now. Far worse than anything that's happened to the earth since the flood. It's going to be a devastating time. 
God is going to be pouring out his wrath and judgment on sinful man on his earth during this time. Revelation 16, 8 and 9 says, And the fourth angel poured out his bowl upon the sun, and it was given to it to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with fierce heat, and they blasphemed the name of God, who has the authority over these plagues. And they did not repent, so as to give him glory. During this tribulation time, the people are going to blame God and blaspheme him for what is happening because they're going to recognize that he is the one who has the power over the plagues. The cataclysms that are coming during this time of tribulation are going to be devastating to the earth, but it's not going to destroy it. A testimony to the resiliency God has built into our planet. Humanity should take care of the planet, but there's no reason to live in fear of destroying the earth and thereby destroying humanity. Next will be the coming restoration. After the tribulation, Christ will return to earth with the believers of this age to set up his millennial kingdom. Christ will lift the curse on the earth for the duration of his 1,000 year reign. Let's take a look at some scriptures here. First, Isaiah 11, 6-9, which says, And the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together and a little boy will lead them. Also the cow and the bear will graze, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The nursing child will play by the hole of a cobra, and the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So. There's evidence here. Isaiah is writing that the earth will be pleasant and it will be habitable for people again. And that animals are going to have food for grazing. Children will play freely without any worries from dangerous animals or nature. Now let's look ahead a little bit in chapter 35 verses 1 through 7. Isaiah writes here, The wilderness and the desert will be glad. And the Arabah will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will blossom profusely. And rejoice with rejoicing and shout of joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord. The majesty of our God. Encourage the exhausted and strengthen the feeble. Say to those with anxious heart, take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. The recompense of God will come, but he will save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. For waters will break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the Arabah. The scorched land will become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals, its resting place, grass becomes reeds and rushes. So Isaiah writes here that the earth will become a wonderful place to live during the millennium. God is going to make the earth's deserts into well-watered places that burst forth with blossoms. Let's look at one more verse, Amos 9:13. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord 
when the plowman will overtake the reaper, and the treader of grapes him who sows seed, when the mountains will drip sweet wine, and all the hills will be dissolved. The only problem farmers are going to have during the millennium is that the earth will be so abundant that they will scarcely be able to harvest their crops before planters are back in the same fields. The millennium is going to be an amazing experience on this earth for us. The only thing better might be the Garden of Eden back when God first created everything. But of course, it's going to be a, a wonderful experience for us. Bountiful, pleasurable, uh, no, no threat from nature or animals. But this earth is not eternal, and God has plans to do away with it. Next is the coming annihilation. When the millennium is complete, the thousand-year reign, Christ will put down a final rebellion of Satan-led unbelievers who have been born during Christ's reign. Those unbelievers, along with the unbelievers of all of history, will stand before Christ at the great white throne judgment. Christ will condemn them to eternity in the lake of fire. He will then destroy this old earth and make a completely new one. 2 Peter 3.10 says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be found out. So it's kind of ironic that the way in which God is going to destroy the earth is with fire. This is when there truly will be global warming. Then those who are believers in Christ will live on the new earth forever. Isaiah 65, 17 says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. So what are believers going to remember about this old earth in eternity? Nothing. They will not remember anything. We don't know a lot about the new earth, but we can be sure it will be far better than this present one. It will house God's new Jerusalem, a gigantic city large enough to cover half the United States and tower to staggering heights. The new earth will also have no need of a sun and no sea, maximizing the ability to travel and enjoy the earth. Of course, the best part of eternity on the new earth will be the eternal presence of Christ. And no one will ever suggest that perhaps man could somehow destroy God's new earth. So there is no reason to fear. There's no reason to fear. I hope your fear after hearing uh, some of this study has come down at least a few notches. Because since God has already revealed his plans for this earth, any fear of destroying the earth's environment is an offense to him. It shows a distrust in God. That fear is also an elevation of humanity above God, and it suggests that man could do something to destroy God's plan for the future. So there is not reason to fear that we are destroying this planet or we're going to take it uh, past a point of no return. I have to share with you, though, the most fearful event coming in our future. The most future fearful day that's coming is God is going to judge the unbelievers and the lost. And that punishment, that, that decision the judge is going to lay down is a permanent one. It's one that's going to last forever. This is a fearful event. We shouldn't be concerned about global warming when there's a day of judgment coming. And for those who want to refuse 
Christ's free gift of salvation, they want to continually reject God, they will be warmed forever. They're going to be thrown into the lake of fire and experience eternal punishment. This is serious. This is a, a fearful time. This is something you can really be afraid of. And we need to make sure that people are aware of this. And so I think with this issue of global warming and the fear factor that comes along with it, maybe we can use that as a bridge to speak of a greater fear that they really should have. We can use their fear of the planet being destroyed now to say, hey, do you realize that judgment is coming? And you need to accept Christ for the forgiveness of your sins so that you can be saved from that. Um, just something to keep in mind. That, that day is going to be far worse uh, for unbelievers than anything that's happening to our planet right now. So what is our biblical response to this current cultural issue of global warming? It is to trust in God's sustaining power. Trust in God's sustaining power. He is the owner. He is the creator. He has a plan for this earth and for the future. And we just need to trust in his sustaining power. The memory verse for this week's lesson is Colossians 1, 16 and 17. For in him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Well, thank you for joining me for this week's lesson. And so you know what's coming down the road for next week. Uh, we're going to talk about gambling. We're going to go over a brief history of gambling. Uh, we know today that the acceptance and popularity of gambling has been increasing an extreme amount. And we're going to talk about some of the ways people are misusing uh, different excuses or reasons why they think they should be allowed to gamble. And we're going to take a look from a biblical perspective on what the Bible has to say and see why as Christians we should not be involved with gambling. So hope to see you in the next lesson.